This is the Risky Mix podcast, where we speak with those people changing the mix in the insurance industry. Sharing their personal journeys, their inspirational stories, and answering the questions we all want answered. You're listening to Raj and Katie. We really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. So joining us today on the Risky Mix podcast are two of the founders of Insuring Women's Futures, or IWF. Sean Fisher, the CEO of the CII, and Jane Portis, insurance partner from PwC. The IWF is looking to improve the financial resilience of women in society. They launched their manifesto last year, which outlines five pillars of activity, aiming to drive change in the profession and beyond. Thank you both for joining us today. So let's kick off. Perhaps you can tell us a bit more about why you created Insuring Women's Futures. So shall, shall I uh, just take that, that, that one, Jane? Um, so, uh, you know, people say that actually uh, often the best things come out of, of personal experience or personal conversations. Uh, and uh, Jane and I were actually sat next to each other at a, a dinner, which uh, was because of another uh, colleague of ours from the market, Barbara Schoenhofer, who set up something called the Insurance Supper Club for senior ladies in the market to kind of network and meet with each other. Mm-hmm. So we might never actually have met if we hadn't actually been members of the Insurance Supper Club. But we were just sharing stories stories uh, about our, our sort of experience um, and in particular you know things that maybe happened to our, our mothers and grandmothers around sort of financial resilience and and we ended up sort of staring at each other thinking gosh this sounds like it's something fairly systemic mm. and it sounds like it's still happening mm. not that it's totally uh, from the past so uh, we we just said we couldn't just leave it there we thought we should try and do something about it and by pure chance I was actually just about to start as the CEO of of the um, Chartered Insurance Institute Uh, so I rang my predecessor and said look if if we were bringing something like this into the CII you know is this a a no-no or is this the kind Mm. of thing that the charter body would be interested in looking into and he said it absolutely because he said you know we have a royal charter and and really the essence of the charter is uh building public trust sure. um and obviously you don't do that by doing easy stuff you do that <laughs> by doing you know quite stuff that's on the too difficult pile really. yeah um and uh what what i like the way he explained it he said look we have this program called insuring futures yeah. and the idea of that is to look out into society and say are there areas of definite exclusion mm. uh or in some ways more importantly are there areas where people think there's inclusion but there's actually lack of relevance Mm, Um, and then the the methodology is obviously you look into the problem in a fairly rigorous way do the research but then more importantly try and go from uh, research to action Mm -hmm. so we just uh, Jane and I just been offered the opportunity to be involved with the Women of the World Festival run by another wonderful lady called Jude Kelly Um, and um, she offered us the opportunity to take a small stand for the CII there mm-hmm. and the wonderful thing about the Women of the World Festival it's like over a weekend it's over International Women's Day but they get a huge footfall okay. and a huge demographic of and right. it's, it's mainly women but it's it's a very wide range and we had a simple game on the stand which said do you you know do uh, do you think women's risks in life are the same as men's mm-hmm. and do you think they are uh, suitably engaged with and Almost, I mean, we had just like you put a plastic counter in, and 
at the end of the day, we had no was overflowing. The counters yeah. were all over. Yeah. Yeah. And there were like two counters, I think, in, in the other side. Right. So, you know, that clearly, uh, you know, so, sort of set us off on the fact that we were really, we really were um, onto something. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what um, we, we sat, sat down and discussed was approaching um, this as a kind of rigorous sort of risk assessment. Okay. Um, and this was Jane's, uh, very much Jane's idea for Mm-hmm. how she would approach um, you know, the other work that she'd done in, in her professional life. Um, but it was a risk assessment for uh, a woman's life. Right. Um, and uh, and to try and identify what, if you were doing a risk assessment, you try and identify what the key risks are. And then, more importantly, you also then try and uh, identify a, a sort of a mitigation framework. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, and, and Jane had the wonderful idea that it's no good identifying lots of, you know, just risks. You've mm. got to give them a, a name. So the concept was 12 perils and pitfalls okay. and then uh, six moments that matter where interventions could be made into into those those ideas. Okay. So great. So do do the research. And from that, we created something called the Wellbeing Guide for Women and Girls. Uh, and so the but the the bit that that uh, was really important then was to say okay how do we take this but then actually get the market engaged in actually trying to do something about it and also to make this very relevant to our own profession sector and for the CII you know our members um, and particularly our our chartered firms so that's where the manifesto came from and the five uh, pillars that, that were, you were referring to. And basically those were structured so that you had three pillars that were very much about society. Mm-hmm. So there we've been working very closely with government regulators, the third, third sector. Yep. But importantly, there were two pillars that were very much focused on our own <coughs> profession and our own members and there's a call there's a a call to action which we'll say a little bit more about from those two pillars um that that was is about uh the sector actually committing to do um some work in relation a to women in in the profession itself okay because women in the profession are both working in the sector but they're in society as well Um, and then very importantly a pledge about how the, the the sector is going to engage better uh, with with women as as consumers, um, so the the idea is to launch the these uh, outputs in more detail on the nineteenth of November. Uh, we've taken the IMAX so that we Great. can have a bit of <laughs> whizzy singing and banging and singing with the, with the, the screens and, and things like that. Um, and the 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 idea there is to um, uh, uh, to uh, to have in the in the morning we've got. Um, CEOs, policymakers, talking about the call to action for firms and for uh, government and policymakers, and then uh, we've got a, a big all parties launch um, in uh, uh, a bit later uh, that, that we're, where we're, we're trying to get everybody involved. All right, thank you, thank you, Sean. So, Jane, perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about the approach that you've taken and, and the research you've conducted. I've written three uh, research reports so far, two on financial risks in life in general, uh, the latter a more comprehensive and forward-looking study, and then a deep dive into a uh, women's pension journey. Um, and with my background in risk and regulation, as Shah mentioned, I decided to approach the research 
as a risk assessment, similar to the way in which an insurance business would perform a risk assessment, except in this case, obviously, it's on people. And I really wanted to step back to the very basics of the risks people face in life through the life course, rather than focus at the outset on the protection gap, which is often what we do. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, this programme is essentially about financial inclusion, and any approach then needs to consider men too, to be able to glean the insights as to the differences between men and women, as really this is key to really unlocking the solutions for everybody. So my starting point was where where are the common features um, in all of our lives? So I reflected on education and our working lives, our relationships and family and our health, well-being and ageing. And and then really looked at um, our life circumstances through the life course, through those lenses, and then benchmarked that against our um, respective financial resilience. And the way the research considers risks is, is the financial risks associated with our circumstances, such as how much we earn or if we might need care, the risk of a life event such as divorce or bereavement, and the risk of a decision we might today take today that might uh, affect us financially tomorrow, such as what to study, whether to marry or to cohabit. And I wanted to make sure the work was nationally representative and so we used government statistics and similar data to perform the analysis. Through the analysis I was able to identify 12 top financial risks in life for women in the UK and I called these perils and pitfalls and gave them all a name as I wanted every woman to remember them. I was also able to identify six moments that matter where individuals, employers, financial services firms, regulators and policy makers can make interventions to improve financial outcomes. Could you provide us with some examples of of that research? Mm So what the data shows is that young women are doing brilliantly educationally. However, the study choices they make early on in life have significant long-term financial impacts. And while girls are excelling at school, they're choosing to go on to qualifying subjects with lower pay relative to men. And this is largely down to to gender stereotyping Mm -hmm. and a lack of information about financial opportunities. So a couple of examples of this. Um, Firstly, um, this is highlighted in in something that I call the girls' apprenticeship gap. Mm -hmm. And there's a 21% pay gap between young female and young male apprentices. Um, (laughs) Shocking, isn't it? Um, But but more shocks to come, I think. So um, there are also similar patterns with young female graduates. And only 17%... Um, of degrees in subjects that are going to lead to the higher paid jobs in the future, such as computer science, technology and engineering, are being studied by women. And I call this a young women's graduation burden. And and these features carry forward into the workplace, and together with workplace practices, these are leading to a 9% gender pay gap, which is likely to rise if we don't encourage more women to follow careers in technology and Mm -hmm. science. So now if I move on to how we're forming relationships and, and, and love and family life. Yeah. <laughs> Today many of us are choosing to cohabit and also to have children out of marriage. But over a third of people don't realise that cohabitees have very different financial rights right. to marriage when yeah. re- relationships break down. And this uh, has a profound effect um, on, on women's pension provision. Uh, and especially for women who are financially dependent Mm -hmm. uh, on their partners. And this is something that I called the cohabitation pitfall. 
So then if we talk about having babies, um, I, what I wanted to share with you uh, is one of the perils and pitfalls that are called the flexible working sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And what the data shows is that society now thinks women uh, or mothers should work part-time while caring for children. But many women don't realise the impact of this on progression and pay until much later. And there's a lot for workplaces to do to enable those who are working part-time and flexibly, of course there'll be many more of us in the future working flexibly, to reach their full potential. And what the data shows is that the gender pay gap doubles when you include part-time workers. So part-time women earn 30% per hour less than full-time women on average. And this has further consequences for women's pensions. Um, so for example, 75% of those people who are ineligible for auto-enrolment pensions are women, and a significant portion of those are part-time women. Wow. So moving on, I'll talk a little bit about health risk. Um, so what we can see is that actually our health risk um, is rising. Mm -hmm. We're all living longer, and mental health issues in particular uh, on the up. But of course, this all has implications for our finances too, especially if we need time out of work, or if we have financial dependencies on partners who themselves have, have health issues. And, and of course, health risk arises at all times in our life, but in particular, we see that women in their 30s can be especially vulnerable, particularly given uh, the impact on their resilience of, of lower pay um, and part-time work mm. and, uh, and the cost of raising a family. And this is what I called women's wellness threat. Mm. So then if we go on to the 40s, I'm afraid it gets a little bit rockier here <laughs> still. Um, it's rocky enough. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about the um, divorce and separation setback. And the average age to divorce um, today is the mid-40s for men and women, although actually the age when the divorce rate is rising is in the 50s. Okay. Okay. But, but really, if we, if we perhaps look at pensions uh, uh, for married uh, men and women, married men on average have five times more pension uh, than married women. But when relationships break up, what the data shows is about three quarters of people aren't discussing pensions when they divorce. Mm. So divorce, of course, is really difficult for both parties. Mm -hmm. um, but what we see through the data is that for women who've taken time out of the workplace or have worked part time, when they divorce, getting back into the workplace, restarting a career and saving an adequate pension at the same time as in the, in the large part caring for children mm. um, is really difficult and the average woman's uh, average divorce woman's pension in the UK is £9,000. Wow. So also um, at the time of divorce um, quite shockingly in the data and I actually couldn't ignore this in the data is one-fifth of divorced and separated women experience domestic abuse and this is often from a former partner and many women suffer financial abuse so I called this a domestic abuse danger but shockingly it affects women through the life course so a sixth of teenage girls between 13 and 19 suffer domestic abuse older women suffer domestic abuse mm. and financial coercion right. when they're in pensionable retirement. Mm. Right. So if I move on to the 50s, <laughs> um, 
by this stage in our lives, um, many women have spent really a lifetime of caring. The average amount of uh, childcare that a woman a woman uh, performs is 36 hours per week, which is twice as many hours as men. Yes. And with no value placed on caring, this all adds up to women earning 80% less through the life course than men. And this is called. It is shocking, isn't yeah. it? It really is. <coughs> and this is called the motherhood and caring penalty. Mm. Um, and so this lack of paid work and caring means that by the time women reach 65 today, they have an average pension of just £35,800. That includes all women in the UK, even mm. those who don't have a pension. Wow. And that's about a fifth of the average pension pot of a 65-year-old man. And this is to last women their whole life through. So this I called the women's pension deficit. And um, and with more of us needing care, more of us living longer, what the data shows is that women are caring for their partners and they're mm. now living their partners. Yeah. Mm. So if you look at people in their 80s, 53% of men are living with a partner, but just 14% of women right. are living with a partner. And of course, with care cost rising mm. and the average cost of care for women in the UK between 65 and 74 being £132,000, mm. then this really leads to a longevity trap yeah. uh, for women. Yeah. And, um, and I suppose if I reflect back, the second report um, that I'm really referring to, I called Securing the Financial Future of the Next Generation. And the reason I did that was because women's risks are men's risks too. Mm -hmm. And what we see is by 2050, 36% of us will be in, in above state pension age, mm -hmm. and there'll be 1.2 more wi million women mm -hmm. than men. Yeah. Thanks, Jamie. Some of those um, figures are just absolutely staggering. Uh, staggering. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what does all of that information mean for women's financial lives then? So from the data, what I was able to see was that women are exposed uh, to and experience the perils and pitfalls at different stages in life according to their own sort of personal life journeys, which of course are all very individual. And what I was able to see was how um, the root cause of many of these perils and pitfalls are a result of broader societal norms and also structural issues in our legal and social care systems, which obviously take time to change. Mm -hmm. um, but also what the data shows is that women in general um, say um, they don't have a positive relationship with money. Right. And so if we really want to make change, we need to take a two-pronged approach. One is to address the systems yeah. and, the, and the structures that underpin mm -hmm. uh, the lack of women's financial resilience. But secondly, we really need to empower people yeah. and empower yeah. women to take control of our financial lives. Mm -hmm. And then really, this is the last peril and pitfall and one of the key elements of the programme, um, which Sean and I are really passionate about, really, yeah. which is empowering women to really mm -hmm. own their financial future. So this I call the female financial capability imperative, and that's the 12th peril and pitfall. Jane, you've mentioned um, a little bit about the, uh, the six moments that matter. Could you tell us a little bit more about those, please? I will. Um, and actually what I would encourage everybody to do is to have a look online at mm -hmm. our financial wellbeing guide um, called Six Moments That Matter, How to Secure Your Financial Future. Fantastic. Um, available for everybody. Um, so as Sean mentioned earlier, um, the moments that matter are really um, our own personal risk management framework of interventions. Mm -hmm. um, and, and these moments that matter are relevant for individuals, they're relevant for employers through the HR cycle, 
They're relevant for financial services firms in how they engage with their customers, and they're relevant for regulators and policymakers in bringing about change. Which is why this program is really a collaboration, and yeah. why we and why actually we've had well over 120 people working on the program mm. from all walks of life and, and yeah. a range of different backgrounds. Um, so the six moments that matter. The first, the first thing I'll say is that everybody's everybody's moments in life are different. Mm. So the moments don't coincide with age. What they do is they coincide with life journeys, financial life journeys. So the first moment that matters is called growing up, studying, and requalifying, and this really reflects the opportunity to better inform young women and those planning to change career or re-enter the workforce, perhaps after having a child, but perhaps in future having some other time out mm -hmm. um, as we live the 100-year life, to really think about those financial, those choices that we make in terms of what we study um, and the skills that we develop uh, in preparedness uh, for the workplace. And then the second moment that matters is called entering and re-entering the workplace. And that's an opportunity, really, for us to engage with our financial lives as we start to become financially independent or perhaps return to work uh, and are earning uh, yeah. again. Um, and this is an opportunity, really, to consider our finances, um, also to reflect on, on our pension. So we're, we're planning our, our financial uh, management today but also our financial management tomorrow but also to engage um, for those people who work in workplaces where where uh, employers are providing sort of financial benefits to really engage uh, with those as well and as I said I think there's a real opportunity when people are starting the, the workplace for employers mm. to uh, take steps uh, through financial well-being to engage people in financial life and there's some fantastic evidence which suggests that actually a workforce which is financially well will be healthy, um, uh, both physically and mentally uh, more healthy and uh, will perform better. So real benefits yeah. for business too. Um, the third area is called relationships making and breaking up. And um, this is really reflecting that actually at the time we form relationships and the way we talk about money, as couples, mm. which we probably don't do enough, mm. um, is really, really important in terms of how it um, helps us plan our financial future together, mm -hmm. both independently uh, and, and together, but also to take stock of the nature of our relationship and whether we're choosing to marry or yeah. cohabit and really understand some of the differences in our legal and financial rights. Um, the fourth one is called motherhood uh, and becoming a carer and uh, what actually what the data shows is that actually many of us are becoming mothers much later in life mm. and caring into later life both mm. both for children uh, and for the elderly so the decisions made around who's doing the care mm. and who's paying for the childcare and who's mm. uh, working part-time and who's working flexi-time are really important in terms of how couples um, and families manage their finances. Mm. And then um, the fourth, sorry, the fifth one is called later life planning and entering retirement. And really what this is saying is that we all need to manage our finances throughout our financial life journeys, both to the finances for today and the finances for tomorrow. But how important it is to really engage not only with money, but really with our pensions as well. 
all the way through. So it's not something we can leave right through to our 50s. We obviously need to be planning that from the outset. And then the final uh, moment that matters is called ill health, infirmity and dying. And this is really about being prepared for the unexpected and then being able to be resilient through changes in our health and as we go into uh, old age. And this can affect us both as individuals, but also as, as we mentioned earlier, if we have dependence or dependencies uh, associated with our, with our families and are we really protecting ourselves through our financial resilience um, and perhaps how we might engage with financial services. So, as I mentioned, I'd encourage everyone to have a look in our financial wellbeing guide where we've got against each moment that matters um, quite a few hints and tips which we hope are helpful. And they're not just great for women too, they're good for, for men mm -hmm. as well. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you, thank you, Jane. Perhaps we can take an opportunity to delve a bit uh, deeper into the manifesto and the, the five pillars that we've kind of spoken a, a, bit, a, bit, a bit about throughout the, the podcast so far. So the manifesto um, all sits under the overall objective to improve women's financial resilience, um, but to secure a better uh, future for all. Um, and it's key that while we're looking at the lives and financial resilience of women, uh, the solutions will benefit wider society and changes in all of our lives, not just women. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, as uh, Jane mentioned, you know, uh, clearly there are business opportunities uh, that, that are bound to come out of this as well. Yeah. Uh, the task force itself reviewed all of the perils and pitfalls and moments that matter. And from that, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, we prioritised five pillars for action yeah uh, and then uh, just to uh, um, sort of re-emphasize three three of those were primarily aimed at improving financial resilience for women in society yeah uh, and the last two were, were where we can take a lead as a as a, a profession so insurance and personal finance profession right. uh, and that's about improving our services and solutions uh, for customers uh, but also the uh, financial inclusion and well-being of our own uh, employees. Um, so uh, perhaps Jane, you, you'd mm -hmm. like to talk about the pillars themselves. Absolutely. So the first pillar is about raising awareness of an engagement in women's risks throughout society. So this is where we really wanted to get every woman to really be able to remember the pearls and pitfalls right. and the moments that matter. So we've had a whole work stream uh, looking at how we can best engage with the third sector. Um, mm -hmm. and uh, also across employers. We've also uh, been doing a lot of awareness raising, um, as Sean mentioned, with the Women of the, of the World Festival um, yep. and, uh, and also across our own profession uh, and employers across our own profession too. Um, the second pillar um, really uh, steps that back to young women um, and really how we can address some of the root causes associated with young women's uh, financial lives, really those early years uh, and the formation of uh, the choices that, that young women make and how they perceive themselves mm. from, a from a financial perspective. Right. So again, we're engaging here uh, with the third sector uh, and we've also been engaging with um, with universities and uh, also through festivals like uh, the WOW Festival, which obviously yeah. has a very young uh, contingent. Right, yeah. um, but we'll be doing much more of um, this external engagement um, as, uh, as you'll hear about when, when we talk about um, our launch. Mm -hmm. um, and then the third pillar is um, really about improving women's pensions outcomes, because as I mentioned, the, the perils and pitfalls uh, occur 
throughout life, but actually what we see is that they accumulate. Okay. And what they do is they accumulate into women's pension deficit. Yeah. So what we really wanted to do was to then have, um, to review both pension policy mm-hmm. and also how we're engaging with yes. pensions. Oh, yeah, so we've absolutely. had a whole work stream looking at, um, at how uh, pension policies uh, can be improved in order to, to uh, support uh, women and everybody, um, but in particular how we, um, how we all sort of talk more about pensions. Um, and the types of areas that we've been looking at, we've been looking at um, uh, those on low pay uh, and how they're impacted by, uh, well, how they're able to save for pensions. Mm-hmm. We've been looking at um, the impact of motherhood and we've been looking at the impact uh, in particular of divorce okay, on right. pensions. Um, and then when we move on, uh, I think Sean will probably want to talk a little bit more about this in terms of the role of the profession. We've got a couple of pillars um, that really are, are very much uh, where we actually can really lead as a profession, uh, by, by example. Um, and the first is really saying, well, actually, if we, if we uh, can make a difference to improving women's risks uh, across society, then there's clearly a role for our profession yeah. as the profession that is there to serve uh, society and support society to manage their, their risks in life mm. um, and to protect them from the risks that may befall them, uh, for us to reflect on actually how how do we serve um, both women and men. Yeah. And um, really some of the learnings from this programme is it's around women and men are different and they engage with yeah. insurance and financial services in different ways. And so really what this is doing is really looking at um, sort of product and customer journeys. But in particular what we've done is we've had a group of people that have been looking at the relationship moment that matters and how when people in relationships, how they engage with insurance. And when they take out insurance policies, are they reflecting on their life circumstances? Are they um, thinking about whether it's best for them to have joint or single life policies, for mm-hmm. example? Right. So I'll be sharing some more on that too. And then the final point is, we I think I spent some time talking about the flexible working sacrifice, about this, yeah. this issue around women uh, working part-time and that having a profound effect on their financial resilience and on their pensions too. And... Um, so what we what we um, have done is we have developed some good uh, practice in in flexible working, mm-hmm. but actually um, I think the thing that we've done slightly differently is we've identified, of course, that actually financial well-being and flexible working go hand in hand. Yeah. So we we've called this financially inclusive flexible working, and and the opportunity for workplaces when people are changing their working patterns and it's going to impact their pay, Mm. to support people to actually uh, think about how that affects their financial lives. Right, sure. So, for example, it could be a a woman or a man who are about to have a baby and going on either maternity, uh, paternity or parental leave and prompting people to think, well, we must register for child benefit because actually if we don't register for child benefit, that the person or the mother who's taking time out of the workplace will not accrue her national insurance credits, for example. Right. So there's little prompts like that. And, to, and for when people coming back to work part-time, thinking about um, prompting people to reflect on how that's going to affect their, their pensions and yeah. what that's going to mean for their retirement provision. Yeah. So really it's about equipping people 
um, for financial life. Okay. Um, so really, that's our last. Um, that's our last pillar of our manifesto. Two areas of the manifesto that impact customers and are relevant to employers in the market, and a couple of pledges. What is your ask of the market? So um, really, the first thing that uh, before we even get to the pledges, what we're re- we're really saying everybody could do uh, is to come and join us uh, yeah. because obviously we're we're going to be launching uh, the manifesto proposals on the nineteenth uh, of November. Um, we're holding this at the IMAX uh, Waterloo, um, and obviously there'll be a recording. We're going to obviously record the event so shortly afterwards you'd actually be able to see what's what's gone on if you're if you're not there in person. Yeah. Um, um, and if you want to actually come and join us, mm-hmm. uh, then uh, our website for all, all good information about everything to do with what we've been talking about today is www.insuringwomensfutures.co.uk. And, uh, and uh, if you want to register and come along to the event, you can do it through that uh, that website. Um, so what that will allow you to do is obviously you can meet people who've been directly involved in the programme mm-hmm. um, and you can actually find out how each of the proposals could be relevant to either you as an individual or to your business. Yeah. Um, and uh, so just to go back to the, 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 the two pledges, um, so uh, we, we've actually been having conversations uh, with, with um, various uh, firms in the market um, about these uh, pledges and um, people signing up to them. So uh, the first of these is the uh, financial flexible working pledge, and what that what that really is it's like a pub it's like a public declaration public commitment mm-hmm. uh, for firms who want to stand up and be seen to uh, support their people um, and obviously flexible working applies to both men and women mm-hmm. um, and I think Jane made this point earlier but it's important to stress that actually uh, you know a lot of younger men are also actually wanting to you know work more flexibly and also yeah. to yes. you know, and young people generally want to take time out to go traveling and, and things like that so increasingly this is going to be important for everybody yeah. uh, not just the traditional view that it's only important for women um, and this is uh, n- not only about offering and promoting flexible working itself which actually a lot of responsible companies do that already mm-hmm. but it's actively prompting people who are changing their work circumstances to consider the financial implications yeah. of the changes that they're making mm-hmm. um, and uh, I'd just like to pay tribute uh, uh, to something Jane's done which is it's all very well to say people should do this but mm. the next question then is well how yeah. and where do we get information from yeah. and we, we you know it's, it's actually sad to say that um, even with an experienced search um, approach mm. it's actually not that easy to find information uh, about this um, and it's and it, if there is if there is information it's quite fragmented so you have to know that you need to look up different things mm. so what we've done is tried to pull all of that together right. um, but yeah. you know frankly it's not it's not great um, yeah, so okay. there's obviously th- more that can be done um, to make this accessible yeah. mm. to people yeah. Uh, the second pledge, then, as Jane uh, described, is the inclusive customer financial lives uh, pledge, and and what that in, in is really encouraging firms to do. Um, and the regulator talks about this a lot, but it's it's quite a mindset change, which is not to be thinking about what's my product and how do I how do I sell it. Yeah. Is more what, why is this person approaching us? Mm. What what is it that they that they're looking for? Yeah. And then. 
as much you know what don't they know that we know that we could help them with yeah. as as just the question that they're you know that they're actually um, asking um, and then if if it's a it's a an ability to uh, preempt because the the regulators often talking about vulnerability, mm-hmm. um, yeah. but this is actually a, an, an ability to take a preemptive strike because we as professionals know that people uh, need need to know, need help mm-hmm. with yeah. things. Yeah. Um, but often, you know, either through speed or other other reasons, we're just we're not just not taking taking that opportunity mm-hmm. uh, to actually prompt people to think a bit wider about this, the the circumstances they're they're in. Yeah, so sure. that's uh, that's what the the, the pledge is all about. Sure, thank you, thank you, Sean. Yeah, I'm I'm personally very excited to attend the event. Yeah, uh, So so yeah, and and one final question for you. Um, We've been hearing about the Talk to 10K initiative. <laughs> Tell us more about that and how um, the insurance profession, people who, who we work with, can, can get more involved with that. Yeah, so uh, one thing we were very conscious of was that, um, uh, you know, often when we're talking about quite complicated things, you know, people can feel a bit, a bit well, how how can I help? How can yeah. I as an individual um, help? And um, I have to say we were slightly... Uh, shamelessly uh, took the the idea of the sort of Macmillan coffee mornings which have proven to be very successful for getting individuals involved um, so we we said um, we've along the way we've accumulated pretty much a thousand individual people mm. who have signed up as ambassadors for mm. IWF right. and you know they've done really good things to help us along the way but they've all said you know now that you've really got got this you yeah. know what can we do and we've said well talk to 10,000 if each ambassador yeah. just talked to 10 people yeah. um, and uh, using the well-being guide uh, using the there's a wonderful narrated presentation on the uh, on our website that that uh, Jane put together okay. um, about all the background uh, that we've just mm. been talking mm. about um, and if, if 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 they just spoke to ten people, yeah. um, then actually that's going to be ten thousand. Mm. Yeah. And and the concept is, and then if ten thousand spoke to another ten each, then that's hundred thousand. Yeah, you know, et, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and it is really simple. We've put the tools together. You can access them from the website. We're very um, comfortable to make everything available to people, um, and you know it can just take up an hour of your time. Yeah. Um, so that is what we would really like people to do, and also to you know give give out the either the website address or physical copies of the financial wellbeing guide to as many as many women and girls and other people in society as possible. So I'm just going to finish again by reminding everybody about the website address, which yeah. is www.insuringwomensfutures.co.uk. Fantastic. And Thank we'll have, you. We'll have, a, we'll have a link up for that um, yes. with, the, with the podcast Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. And could I just say one thing, actually, because we have had, as, a, as we mentioned, about 150 people overall involved in the programme. So mm. I think it's uh, it's very fitting to really thank everybody for for all of the phenomenal support that we've had. We I don't think we can believe that yeah. we would have been where uh, we started from. Where we started <laughs> from, and that we would that have been uh, <laughs> we would have been leading a program uh, with so much commitment f- of uh, yeah. voluntary time from Absolutely. so many people and so many organisations. Well Absolutely. done, no, no, incredible no, research, really great work. Yeah. Thank you. Right. Well, I think we've reached the end of the podcast. Thank you so much, uh, Jane and Sean, for for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure to have you both. And we've enjoyed hearing about um, the the research that you've done and and the event coming up. Thank you. And thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to get in touch, you can do so via our Twitter account, at Risky Mix. We'd love to hear your thoughts and questions, and if you know any inspirational women in the industry who you think would be great for the Risky Mix podcast, please get in touch. See you next week.